You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. How y'all doing today? Doing good? I'm doing all right. I'm a little bit tired, you know. You know that. You already know that. Don't need to elaborate there. Well, today what I would like to do, or at least start with, I'm assuming this will take the whole time, but I never really know what's going to happen. Honestly, I don't even know what the questions are, but that's what we're doing today. We're going to do questions, because there's been so much to talk about lately, believe it or not, that I have not really addressed any of these questions, so we are going to um, sort of try and fly through a little bit of this. Anyways, thank you to those of you who have uh, been giving those iTunes reviews to the Packernet podcast with the black background and Pack Daddy logo. Again, be sure to send me a screenshot or some kind of proof that you have left that behind because I'd like to be able to give you a PFF subscription. And as I said, once we get to episode 200, I'm going to take all those names of the people that had said to me that they gave me that, find some sort of online randomizer, spend an afternoon plugging in names into it, and then pushing shuffle. That or I'll just put them in a spreadsheet and close my eyes and point. I don't really know what I'm going to do. But once we get to 200, I'm going to give away a PFF, PFF subscription. Also, be sure to get into the Facebook group, because that will be where the live stream is happening. I'm hoping to get it happening in other places, but I have to figure out the logistics of that. It always kind of confused me how that works. I wouldn't say I'm technically illiterate, and I tend to understand a lot of this stuff. But sometimes, man. But I'll get it figured out. NFLBigBoard.com, I am working on the update. I did not get it finished yesterday, but um, I did make some changes. Hopefully today, we'll see what happens. As I mentioned, we are creeping up on episode 400, and if you're looking for a way to support the show, a $4 donation would be kind of cool, and it'll also help to, uh, you know, make the live stream go a little bit... That's not true. The live stream is going to go how it's going to go. You can just help pay for some of the stuff that I have to pay for, because I'm getting it either way. I've I've made up my mind, because I I started, like, shopping around, like, ooh, this would be cool. Maybe if I get a donation, I'll, I'll do some of this, and I'll do some of that, and then it's like, you know what? I just really want that, so then I just ended up buying it. But anyways, it does help to support the show, and I appreciate all the support. And again, being a everyday show, I'm essentially asking for, what, four cents per episode. Just something to think about, just throwing it out there. Finally, if you'd like to uh, call or text in a question or give your opinion on something that can be aired on the show, 608-501-0718, 608-507-0718. going to take a little break, and I apologize that I keep forgetting to give you the second break because I just keep talking and then I have to put a second break in there and I just don't remember that, you know, so I don't actually plan for one. Anyways, talk to you in a minute. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Welcome back. I don't even think I'm running ads anymore. I just checked and it's like, you don't have ads. You're making no money. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) That's like the good old days. Anywho, before we get there, I had a thought. And it technically, well, it's my thought, but I, I stole it, sort of. As I mentioned, I usually wake up very, very early and stumble downstairs and get some coffee, and depending on how long it takes for me to roll myself out of bed, I get to listen to anywhere between like 30 seconds, which is granted not productive, but I need something in my brain just to kind of keep me awake, and five minutes, ten minutes, whatever, of a podcast. 
I would say probably 90% of the time it's um, Blue 58 because he's usually got it up and ready to go. And I don't, you know, just, again, just, I don't know, push play. Please start putting noise in my ears. Anyways, I had more than a few minutes to listen to it. By the way, I do enjoy his podcast. I'm sure you know about it. If you don't, go check it out. But he was talking about linebackers, and um, I can't necessarily say what it is he said that kind of prompted this thought, but I wanted to at least give him credit anyways, because for, for whatever reason, through my agreements and disagreements, I arrived at something. I started looking at 12, and he was kind of talking about, you know, Similar to what a lot of people have said about wide receiver, right? Either get a stud or just wait in the draft and get somebody much later. And I started thinking about the Packers, and I started thinking about scheme. And actually what he was talking about was limitations within linebackers. And uh, anyways, for whatever reason, it dawned on me that perhaps the reason the Packers haven't invested very high in a linebacker is more to do with scheme than anything else. Now, this isn't necessarily to say that they wouldn't take or love to have a Devin Bush or a Devin White, I think they would. I think every team in the NFL would. But the question of the draft is more to do with value and asset allocation compared to, you know, other value on the board. And depending on the scheme and the value that they put on a position, it may be the case that it's very, very, very rare that a team like the Packers or maybe another team would ever take a linebacker as high as 12. Now, I'm not say, stating any of this as fact. I'm just trying to throw a bigger wrench into your, you know, whatever thoughts you have of maybe starting to narrow this down. I just want to ruin everything. Because I personally was starting to settle on Devin Bush because as I'm doing more mock drafts, it's like, man, I just don't not want to get him. But I was thinking about Mike Pettin's obsession with defensive line, and I was thinking about how specifically when he was, now I'm starting to remember exactly the moment, the moment that it happened. He was talking about how guys like Devin Bush can occasionally get washed out of plays. Now, I don't necessarily see that, not as bad as some of the other guys, but that's neither here nor there. My initial thought was, yes, I care about that. That's why I didn't like Roquan. It was just like, get out of my face. I don't, I don't want a guy that's going to get blocked out of existence. But I think part of the issue there, or not even issue, but part of the thought process is Blake Martinez and a lot of these linebackers are essentially acting as a cleanup crew. And the scheme allows, especially if we're talking about two linebackers, maybe one gets blocked up, but then you've got the other one. The point is, it's the defensive front that's supposed to take all this brunt away. And if you look at why Mike Pettin is stressing the front, one of the things I mentioned is that we can play kind of light. We can play nickel packages because we've got a strong front that's able to handle the extra added responsibility. But I also think it helps with not needing elite linebackers that are going to actually take on blocks, shed blocks, and do all this stuff by themselves. You hear that about weak side linebackers, right? Like Kind of like Roquan. I don't know if he's playing weak side, but he is a weak side linebacker. Guys that just can't get touched. you got to make sure that you got a good defensive line so that these guys can just fly around and do whatever it is they've got to do. Point being... If what I'm saying is even slightly or relatively true, it makes infinitely more sense. Rather than taking a linebacker at 12 or even 30, which doesn't make sense in either scenario, just based on the value of who's going to be available, in a strong defensive line class, we're talking about edge rushers and defensive linemen, defensive tackles, defensive ends, whatever, it makes infinitely more sense to get a guy like Christian Wilkins, I'm not saying him specifically, but I'm just saying a guy that we don't usually think of as a good value, but to get a guy like Christian Wilkins and then get a Jermaine Pratt in the third round or a Ben Burkirvin or whoever in the second, third, fourth, fifth round, and then have Blake Martinez, Jermaine Pratt, and Oren Burks as the guys that can handle a lot of coverage responsibilities, which, you know, makes sense, right? The Packers are getting a lot of like Oren Burks is a smaller, faster guy. In other words, he's going to be supposedly really good in coverage, maybe not so good against the run. I, I shouldn't even say that. Not so good at taking on blocks, but if he has a free shot at a guy, he'll be all right, and he's good in coverage. But in order for that to work, you have to have a strong defensive line. Again, I'm not speaking authoritatively. I'm just sort of thinking out loud. Beyond that, I will tell you this, because it all is just kind of coming together for me, I remembered, and again, if you've been listening for a long time, I've said this several times. I believe Brian Gutekunst has an obsession with pass rushers, especially outside linebackers. Now, you could just, you know, brush this off and say, well, what really was happening is that we just had really bad outside linebackers, and he just wanted to satisfy that. And um, 
you know, we got rid of the, the two bad guys and we got two guys that are better and, and now we don't need to worry about it. But it's almost like in a movie where you think you got it figured out and then it's like, oh man, like there's that big twist right at the end. Like maybe he's not dead. Oh no! You know, M. Night Shyamalan style or whatever. I just watched Glass. He had a twist. It, was, it wasn't a very good twist, I don't think, but whatever. But I had a little bit of a daydream yesterday where I'm sitting down doing the live stream and the Packers flash on the screen at pick number one because Gutekunst, even though we thought he was done with outside linebacker, turns out he's still a freak and obsessed and decided to give away both first-round picks and maybe a little something else. I don't know. I don't care. It's just a daydream. It's just for fun. But he went out and got Nick Bosa, which also kind of got me into think. you know, if you think about the outside linebackers, first of all, how good are Preston and Zadarius Smith? Second of all, how much is Zadarius going to be playing inside as opposed to outside? Third of all, where is our depth behind the Smiths? Well, we got Fackrell, and that's about it. So the more I think about it, we're not done at outside linebacker, and the more I think about it, we're not done at, at defensive interior. With Mike Daniels' contract coming up, with needing another third guy, with being a strong defensive line class, with Mike Pettin's obsession with defensive tackles with the the need at defensive tackle for this particular scheme. Everything right now for me is just screaming defensive line or defensive front, whether it's outside linebacker or defensive tackle. So now i got to redo my mock draft <laughs> because I had Devin Bush. I don't know. It's fine. I wanted to change it up a little bit anyways. But like I said, just sort of had that thought and wanted to throw it out there. All right, let us dive in, shall we? So the first question... This is from Monday, Chuck from Venice, Florida. I get a lot of questions from Florida, and I got to be honest, it upsets me a little bit because I'm not in Florida. But guess who will be in one month? This guy. Got the draft in a week, Florida in a month. Life is kind of cool sometimes. He says, if we take Burns at 12, do you think we can also use him as a middle linebacker in some sub packages? Here's the answer to that question. I think you can take most outside guys, put them inside, and they'll have some success. I'll also say that if you go to Mock Draftable and look at his comparables, Leighton Vander Esch is one of them. Here's what else I'll say, though. That's not going to happen. If we draft Brian Burns, Brian Burns is going to be an outside line. Now, I say that authoritatively. It could absolutely happen. I just, I really, really don't think that's the case. Uh, for one, I don't think you take a pass rusher and put him in an inside linebacker role. That is to say, I don't think you take a more valuable position and put him in a less valuable position. Now, obviously, you could say that you know, like, you know, the question was in some sub packages. So if you want to have different people along the defensive front, and then you also want to have the best 11 people on the field, and Brian Burns happens to be one of your best inside linebackers, I guess it could make sense. But I think we're, I don't know, sometimes we're very quick to want to change positions, right? If we draft a corner, I guarantee you it's going to be 30 seconds before somebody throws on Twitter. I wonder if he'd be a good safety. Every single corner who isn't a very, very good corner, according to Packers Twitter, should be a safety. Kevin King needs to be a safety. Josh Jackson needs to be a safety. Uh, Tony Brown, I've heard, should be a safety. Tremont, obviously, should be a safety. Literally the only guy that isn't a safety on this team, apparently, is uh, Jair. So I'm not, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying I get it, but teams generally aren't going to do that. The Packers, I don't think, really ever do that. The only time they did that was with Clay, and you have Clay, who's... First of all, very good at it. Second of all, very good at understanding the defense, which makes him a good inside linebacker, you know, being able to bark out plays and whatnot. Number three, he's very much declining as a outside linebacker. And number four, we were very, 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 very much depleted at inside linebacker. We had nobody. The other issue with Brian Burns that is going to be kind of glaring is his lack of coverage ability. If you look at his PFF grade in his first ever year, 69.9 is decent. His second year, 63.8, less decent. And then last year, 53.6, which is really bad. So, I mean, his, his skill set is outside linebacker. That's what he would be. I think if he ever ended up moving to inside linebacker, it would be because something went very, very wrong. Like, number one, we lost all our linebackers. Or number two, Brian Burns was an absolute bust pick at 12. And we're just trying to find a way to use him. Right? We've seen that with other guys. Um, I think like Hassan Reddick, he might he maybe he was inside to begin with. I don't know. But there's certain guys that, you know, they try on the outside, it doesn't work. It's like, I guess we'll push them inside. That's that's not a good thing. It's like when you make something and you think it's going to be really good, and then it's not, 
and you're like, well, maybe we can just like mix it with stuff. You know, like when bananas go bad, it's like, I'll just make a banana bread or something. It doesn't speak highly of the bananas. I don't know. Let's just throw them back with the inside linebackers and try to figure out something else on the edge. Because that's what really matters is what's on the edge. Next up, we got Eric from Toledo. He sent me a text just to vent. I don't know if he wanted it on the show, but you got to understand if you're sending it to me via that phone number, it's for the show. I was debating whether or not to read this because it kind of sounds like trashing another podcast, which is not ever my intention. But hey, I'm not saying it. But essentially what he said is he listened to the Pack-A-Day Megapod when they did their um, uh, mock draft or whatever. I have not yet listened to it. I am listening to the uh, Locked On NFL podcast, which is doing something very similar across their you know, Locked On thing, which has Bukowski in it. But I have not listened to this one. But anyways, uh, he says Aaron Nagler took Greedy Williams for us at 12, and Ben Fennel took A.J. Brown at 30. OMG. No, um, no way, man. It's kind of what he said. He says, I like those dudes, but they ignore positional value in a way that's unacceptable. Nagler pass on Montez, Sweat, and Fennel pass on a bunch, including Chase, Fant, Safeties, etc. You said it yourself, Aaron Rodgers and an elite defense wins us a title. Thanks, just needed to vent. Yeah, so it, it's really tough. I have consistently heard Greedy Williams will go in the 20s. Um, I think 23 is supposedly the floor. In other words, as far as he's going to fall. So if he does get to the 20s, it'll be, you know, it, it's kind of weird to hear he's not going to go before the 20s. Also, he won't go any later than 23. So it's it's kind of a strange thing. Unlikely both are true. But anyways, I've also said I don't, you know, if it happened, I wouldn't be ultra furious. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think Greedy is is on that level. You know, like if this was, what was it, four years ago, three years ago, when that super, you know, the Kevin King draft where there were a ton of really good corners. I don't know if Kevin King was one of them. But anyways, you know, Tredavious White, Marshawn Lattimore, Marlon, uh, is it Marlon Humphrey? Like if it was one of those drafts and we had the potential to get a Marshawn Lattimore, yeah, dude, all day I'm taking a corner. I don't care that we don't need one. That guy's a freak. I just don't think Greedy Williams or Byron Murphy, for that matter, are on that level. But what I've said consistently is, if he is, and in, in Aaron Nagler's defense, if Greedy Williams is the top guy, yeah, man. I mean, you're not going to be popular in Wisconsin, but just do it. And especially at 12, because I don't know, you know, what, what are the massive have-to-satisfy needs? Guard? Do you want to take a guard at 12? Safety? Is there a safety you like at 12? I mean, we, we would like a pass rusher, but it's not an ultra, we don't have anybody if we don't draft a pass rusher kind of need. A defensive tackle, there's good value, but there's nobody, super, you know, it's again, it's not a dire situation. Wide receivers we can get later, and there's nobody of value at 12. And that's part of what's difficult about 12. It's difficult, but it also gives us the flexibility and freedom that we should like to the point where we get to take best player available. I don't think Greedy's going to be the guy. I don't think Greedy deserves to be the guy, but I'm just saying, as I have said, if that's the pick, I'm not really going to be super upset. I'm going to be very worried because we're really bad at drafting corners in the first round, and I would just be livid if we get another corner that comes out and is not very good. My expectation, if it's Greedy Williams, DeAndre Baker, Byron Murphy, anybody at 12, or 30 for that matter, that's a corner, my expectation is you start day one opposite um, Jair Alexander. That is my expectation. You will be better than Kevin King, who is a second-round pick. You will be better than Josh Jackson, who is a second-round pick. As far as A.J. Brown at 30, um, it's a popular pick. So, you know, I think he was kind of... I feel like A.J. Brown is maybe the most safe pick at 30 as far as, you know, if you're going to do a podcast pick and you want to upset the least amount of people. Apparently, Eric from Toledo is not one of those people who is satisfied. But again, I didn't listen to it, so I don't know exactly who's there. Um, Chase Winovich, I don't really have a, a strong, fast thought on him. I do like him. Noah Fant, I, I just, I've been cooling on him for quite a while. I don't know if I take him at 30. I know I'm not going to take him at 12. But again, as I've said a thousand times, if the Packers take him at 12, I'm going to be really worried. If they take him at 30, it's more a matter of less about what I think and more about what the Packers are telling me. Packers are telling me this guy is an elite athlete, a very good tight end that's going to be very pivotal in Matt LaFleur's offensive system, is a need, and is going to help this team exponentially, giving us a wider blah, 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 right? You learn a lot of stuff. Um, is there ever a scenario where I would do a mock draft in which Greedy Williams and A.J. Brown go 12 and 30? No. 
Would I be livid if that was the reality? No. So those are my particular thoughts. I know you weren't really asking, you were just venting, but might as well give my thoughts. Next question is from Joshua Anderson from Arizona. I had to kind of go back and look at some of his other messages to figure that out. But I'm a detective like that. He says, I don't understand why we're looking for at a quarterback with his draft class. Nothing against Locke. But from what I understand, next year we'll have a lot of high-quality players in the position. Do we really use a high-round pick on a good quarterback when we could get a better one next year and address more pressing issues this year? Yeah, I'm, I'm really kind of confused as to all the quarterback stuff. Now, like I've said, a lot of these visits, and I know people have said smokescreen, maybe there's a little bit of that. A lot of these visits are just a matter of trying to figure out where to put them. But it also tells us they're not off the board. So, you know, what we have are a bunch of people trying to... A bunch of people with a bunch of different opinions. What is possible is that there's a wide discrepancy in the opinions of guys like Locke. I forget who the other one is they wanted to bring in but didn't. I don't know. Whatever. Daniel Jones, maybe. I don't know. But it could just be a matter of, you have some people saying Drew Locke could be like the next coming of whoever, while other people are saying, no, he's like a third round guy. So we've got to get this figured out. Because who knows? Maybe he falls to 44. Maybe we do want him at 30. If he's like a top 10 guy, which some you know, we're talking about the Broncos maybe liking him enough to take him in the top 10. So if he's a top 10 player that falls to 30, can you really not take him? I know the answer a lot of people just said audibly right now is, yes, I can not take him. But, you know, if we're we're operating in the strictest sense of best player available, that is the right move. But I will say I'd be very surprised. I I don't remember who said somebody said I'd be surprised if they didn't take Locke at 30. I I don't know. And as much as I generally disagree with, or I shouldn't say I disagree. It's probably how I would do things. But I generally understand the idea of you don't start, you don't draft this year based on next year. I don't think very many teams do that. I think we talk about that a lot more than teams because you just never, I mean, we don't even know who's coming out next year. We also don't have any idea who's going to be good next year. There's there's all kinds, every single time we say it's going to be this person, this person, this person, right? Like Jerry Judy is a big, big name. You know who else, this would be three years in a row, there's a really, really big stud wide receiver that's like nobody's ever seen before. Last year it was Hollywood Brown, who's maybe going in the second round. The year before that it was Christian Kirk. And I remember at this time two years ago, hearing about Christian Kirk as a once-in-a-lifetime kind of guy, super freak, like he's just, you get the ball in his hands, he can do literally anything, super fast, slot guy, he can go outside, right? The exact same profile of Jerry Judy and Hollywood Brown, both of which ended up, you know, kind of in that late first, early second kind of territory. Christian Kirk went to Arizona and uh, didn't do very well. Probably more to do with Arizona than Christian Kirk, who I do think is a good wide receiver, but I'm just saying. You never know what's going to happen, right? Arden Key, two years ago, was like the number one guaranteed going to happen freak kind of guy. Then he gained 7,000 pounds, forgot how to play football, got drafted in like the 19th round, and he's a terrible Oakland Raider. So generally, I don't think you draft based on next year. However, I do think that kind of makes sense, especially when you consider now is not the time to look for the future prospect, you know, the, the, the future quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. It really just comes down to two things. Number one... Could this be a position where you draft somebody and trade them for value, but you cannot do that at 30? What are you going to get? I mean, just looking at this from sort of an analytical standpoint, right? If I'm going to pretend to be an actuary and try to figure out, you know, cost, benefit, all that kind of stuff, the odds of us getting a value for trading a guy at 30 for better than a pick 30, very, very low. The the odds of us even even him performing and us being able to trade him at all is is you know, it'd be kind of nice. More than likely, if we end up trading the guy, it's going to be what? Like a Brett Hundley kind of thing. Now, it's possible we end up getting a haul, but I just really do not think so. So then what we're talking about is somebody that's, you know, we're, we're talking about taking the backup position very, very, very seriously, which kind of makes sense because Rodgers has been getting hurt a lot lately, and we're kind of tired of this whole whenever Rod, you know, Rodgers is the whole team. Maybe we need to get away from that philosophy, and we need to start getting serious with the backup position and have a guy that's ready to go that's a very good football player. But I think if that was the case, we'd be starting to look a little more seriously at some of these capable backups. There's always veterans floating around out there, and we never even sniff at them. We're always looking for young guys to develop, which again is fine, but not in the first round. But yes, also to your point, and I, I have started the 2020 process. Lots of guys that are talked about as potential first-round guys. Justin Herbert could very well be the number one overall pick. Uh, Tua Tagovailoa, if he comes out, I don't know 
I, I don't know if he's a senior or what. I don't think so, but he is potentially the number one overall pick. Uh, guys like Shea Patterson in Michigan, possible first-round picks. Jake Fromm out of Georgia is another one. Jacob Eason, Washington. So, I mean, th- th- there's at least five guys that are in the conversation. There, there could be more, there could be less, I don't know. But if you're looking for a stud quarterback to fall to you, I feel like next year could potentially be a very good year. I mean, this could be another year similar to last year where there's just a ton of quarterbacks. And we're one year closer to being at a reasonable distance to be looking for a backup. And I know, you know, a lot of people, well, I mean, this is the same age as Brett Favre was when we got Aaron Rodgers, so why wouldn't you look for that? And maybe that is Gutekunst's thought process. We, we, You know, I mean, if you remember the Brett Favre thing, what did they do? They started saying, well, what if he falls? And, you know, there, there was a big question like, oh, man, maybe Aaron Rodgers will fall to us if you look at the way the board is. And then they literally just like the night before or whatever threw on a bunch of tape and really crunched down and figured it out. That could be a similar process. We just really, really need to know if he's there, are we going to take him? We just don't know the answer to that question. And yes, I'd like, I, I, well, let me finish my thought. I forgot that I had a thought. Imagine that. That's pretty rare. I know that this was the same age, but I fully intend for Aaron Rodgers to be playing for the next five years. Brett Favre, or Aaron Rodgers sat for three. I don't want to draft somebody that's going to sit for five years. But who knows? My expectation of five years, maybe he ends up getting traded. Who knows? Whatever. But overall, I tend to agree. I, I, I'm not looking at it. I don't want a quarterback. I don't see how there could ever really be value there. I mean, what is the best case scenario for drafting Drew Locke? The best case scenario involves one of two things. Aaron Rodgers gets hurt, which is not good at all. Aaron Rodgers retires or gets traded prior to his five-year stint, and Drew Locke takes over. Or I suppose worse than that, or not worse than you can't get worse than any of those scenarios because those are horrible, he just sits on the bench for five years, and then in year six, when he's ready for a ton of money, we pay him like $40 million or whatever the price for a quarterback is going to be at that point to be our starting quarterback just right out of the gate. Like, you know, hope you're ready because we're going to give you a massive contract. There just isn't anything awesome that can happen. But whatever, who knows? We'll cross that bridge if and when it happens. Hopefully it doesn't happen. Oh, and um, there was also a follow-up question. He wanted to, he was wondering about past episodes. He wanted to hear the episode right after Mike McCarthy was fired. I don't know if you can search. You're going to kind of need to. I don't really have an episode number here. But the episode title is Breaking News, McCarthy Fired. So there you go. But anywho, we're going to take another short break. And then I'm going to switch from the text messages to the voicemails, and we'll see where that takes us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So first up, we're going to get to a question from Jacob, and I'll let him ask it for himself about that stuff. All right, what's up? This is Jacob Wood calling about a potential tight end draft pick. The dude I'm talking about, his name is Josh Oliver. I know nothing about him. Dude's supposed to be a freak. I don't know, maybe look into him, talk about him, I don't know. But this is also coming from a guy who likes a little Jordan Humphrey. So this guy might be a complete buff. 
slow. I don't know. Purdy's a freak. Give him a look. Have a good one. Thank you. So first of all, uh, just to be clear, maybe I misunderstood you. It sounded like a potential Titans draft pick. Oh, tight end. You said tight end. The Google Translate says Titan, and I was like, have I been saying Packers wrong this whole time? Because I have got some confused listeners right now. Tight end. Come on, Google. Get with the program here. Yeah, I'm blaming Google. Get out of my face. Anyways, let's talk about Josh Oliver. That really confused me. Like, do I have the same number as a very similar number to a Packers or a Titans podcaster? So Josh Oliver is on my uh, scouting report sheet. For those that don't know what I'm talking about, I've got my very own big board with positional rankings and a bunch of stats available for as little as a dollar a month. If you head over to patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy, you can get this wonderful, beautiful list uh, with all this great insight, including guys like Josh Oliver, but let's talk about him. So first of all, as far as my positional ranking, Josh Oliver comes in at 11th out of 15. He goes to San Jose State, pretty small school. As far as his pro football focus grade goes, they grade him as good, not great. And for reference, unlike a lot of other positions, there aren't any elite tight ends, just to kind of give you a frame of reference. TJ Hawkinson's very close, 8.99. I could put him over the hump and just call him elite, but I'm trying to make a point here, so get out of my face. As far as his athleticism and quote-unquote freakiness, six four, 255 pounds is pretty average. He did run a 4.63, which is pretty fast, uh, but his 10-yard split and 20-yard split uh, basically average. So in other words, he's got that deep speed, Jordy Nelson-esque. Um, vert, broad jump, three cone are all pretty average. His sh- uh, shuttle, 4.47, is pretty slow. So he's kind of average across the board, but overall his relative athletic score was an 8.17, which is good. So he's a good athlete compared to other tight ends and whatnot, solid. As far as uh, pro football focus, looking at his run blocking, pass blocking, and receiving, he's definitely a better receiver than a blocker. They kind of graded him as basically an inept run blocker, a decent pass blocker, and a pretty solid receiver. In fact, he was graded out as the sixth best receiver, uh, again, out of 15. Uh, It's upside down. I lied. Okay, he's not that good. Tenth, which is still higher than his overall grade, where I think he's, what, 11th? But it's not bad. I mean, it's not a bad grade. Uh, Yard after the catch, not very good at all. Third from the bottom. To give you some context, I gave him a 4.8 grade out of 10. Looking at his uh, drop rate, he's got a 7 out of 10, which isn't bad, but um, pretty much everybody has a 7 out of 10 or better. The number was 6.7, which I believe is 6.7% of his receptions or should have been receptions were drops. The good thing for him could be where he's drafted, which is kind of all over the place. If you look at what John Ledyard said, he said fourth round, which is pretty high. Joe Marino says mid to late third day, and Kyle Krabs just came out and said seventh round. So if he ends up being a seventh round pick, then yeah, we could be getting a stud. Is 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 he legitimately like a stud football player that could be a third round option? I don't think so. Again, Ledyard thinks he could potentially be a fourth round guy, which, you know, good on him if he gets that. But yeah, potential late round, uh, late round option at tight end, depending on depending on uh, what we end up doing and whatnot. So that's going to be it for the um, the voicemail questions. I did get two from Andy, and I made a note of both of them because they're both kind of in depth questions. So I, I don't want to do it on the fly. Some things, you know, I just need little tidbits of information I can kind of pick up. Plus, I've done a lot of back work, like you know, tight ends and what. I, I have all those resources, so I can kind of on the fly give an opinion. Uh, but for some of these questions, I really want to take some time. So I'm going to hold off on that. But I did make a note, and I'm going to start working on that today. Thank you, Andy. Diving into the Facebook group now because there's a good amount of questions in there. Um, Bill asked if Drew Locke is available at 30. Do you take him? Already answered that one. I don't personally. And unlike taking a corner at 12, I really have a hard time finding the value. In other words, if we take a corner at 12, I'm fine. If we take a quarterback at 30, we kind of know. right? The difference is at, at I can assume they're taking him because he they know he's going to be an instant starter, instant impact player, and a guy that can be a great corner for the next four to five years. If we take a quarterback at 30, we know the exact opposite. He will not contribute to this team, and trying to find value in it is just nearly impossible. Is it possible? Is it the right thing to do? Maybe, but I, ugh, you know, best player available and all that, fine, but I'm just not going to be super thrilled. Another question, this one was by Steve. And the fun thing about the Facebook ones is they're they're just questions that I'm going to answer on here, but they're also questions to the group. So feel free to get in the group and give your opinion as well. 
But the question was, Simmons at 12 would be very anticlimactic. What do you guys think? I want him, but he might not be there at 30, never mind 44. I haven't really given it that much thought, but I tend to at least agree with the second half of this, that I don't necessarily know that he makes it to 30. I've heard several people talk about the Colts taking him, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Here's I actually was thinking about this yesterday, so I'm glad you asked the question. Because one of the things that was mentioned is why this would be a great pick for a team like the Colts, because it's a team that essentially has their core. This would just be another piece, and they do need some defensive line help. But Simmons isn't just a guy that's not that, that is going to help in 2020 and beyond. There's a good chance he's back by the end of this year. The end of this year is what? It's the playoffs. Just having looked at the schedule and seeing that we've got a bunch of divisional games lined up in December. It's actually crazy how late they are, because they all three are December. We've got four games in December. The 15th is the Bears, the 23rd is the Vikings, and then the 29th is going to be the Lions. If you look at the timeline here, he tore his ACL in early February. Just doing a cursory check here, there's an article written on February 12th when it was reported, and it was stated that he would get surgery next week, so around the 20th or so. There's a minimum of six six months of recovery time. Standard is seven to nine. Well, six months is August. Seven is September. Nine would be November. If you think about how critically important, and, and again, at this particular point in time, we're looking at it going, oh, I don't want Jeffrey Simmons. You know, he's not even going to be able to play this year. And we're trying to think instant impact. We're thinking about week one, Chicago Bears. But what is the the thought process going to be when we are fighting for our lives in the NFC North. And granted, you can make the argument, well, we probably wouldn't be fighting for our lives had we drafted somebody better that could have contributed in weeks one through whatever. But again, we're talking about a blue-chip player, maybe, in my opinion, the third best player in this draft, top five, relatively inarguably, top 10, 100% inarguably, that will be able to contribute 2020 and beyond. But the critical piece that everybody seems to forget is he can potentially contribute in 2019 by the end of the year. And this is when we are possibly making a playoff push going up against our division rivals. Again, especially considering the way our our, uh, schedule stacks up, these are the most important games of the season. Not just because it's the end of the year, but we're getting a top five prospect, maybe, to play against the Chicago Bears. I mean, you figure if he is able to come back in November... And I don't know how much training, I'm sure, I'm sure he's going to be able to be doing a lot of training as far as rehab. He's going to be studying the playbook, but there's still the whole getting into football shape thing. But there's also a lot of injuries that occur. What happens if Kenny Clark is hurt, Mike Daniels is hurt, whoever is hurt? To be able to get an elite player that's coming up to speed. I mean, if you remember Kenny Clark's first year, he didn't play very much in his first year. I, I, should, I, I said that wrong. At the beginning of the first year, he was a rotational guy. He played a little bit. And he was okay. As the season progressed, he started getting more and more snaps. By the end of the year, he was up there. I forget exactly who the players were, but he was like, the. I think it was uh, Ricky Jean Francois was kind of like getting more snaps than him. By the time we got to the end of the year and into the playoffs, it was him and Mike Daniels, and that was it. I mean, that was one and two. That was one A and one B. And then there was everybody else. So he worked his way up and eventually became a stud. And by the next year, the guy was just, a, I mean, he is what he is. He's a freak. And we're talking about another guy that is potentially another Kenny Clark. So I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. And it's, I, you know, I'm, I'm not speaking as strongly for it because I believe in it necessarily, but just to try to get you to understand that there is a case to be made for that. Now, again, that's predicated on the belief that he is maybe the third best guy. And, you know, in my mind, there is a tier and there's Quinn and Williams and Nick Bosa are by themselves. I think you could argue that Simmons would be in that category as well if it wasn't for the injury and if it wasn't for the off the field stuff, which also comes into, you know, comes into play here. I personally don't hold that against him as much as some other people might. The video isn't great to watch, but given the full context that, you know, supposedly there was a female beating up on his sister and he went to defend his sister. Now that's really no excuse for a guy, especially his size, to full-on punch a woman in the face. I'm pretty sure you could sufficiently pull her away and then grab your sister. You know, and you watch the whole video, there's a whole lot of screaming and hollering and all this nonsense. Like, dude, just grab your sister and go in the house and shut your mouth. But anyway, supposedly model citizen since then, he was young, immature, he's grown up the whole nine yards. Again, we're setting that aside. We're assuming that the Packers have moved on from that. We're also assuming he is one of the rare blue chip players. 
which I tend to think he is, just beyond strong, good, you know, good enough pass rush, athleticism, the whole thing. I think there's a case to be made. I just don't necessarily see it happening. Now, if he does slide to 30, keep all that stuff in mind because the assumption is he's going to be a second-round player. Remember what I've said about all this stuff because I think Jeffrey Simmons could be, a, especially if we satisfy an immediate need at 12 and then get a long-term need plus a blue-chip player that's possibly even better than the guy we got at 12 who's able to help at the end of the season. At the very least, if we get into the playoffs, he's going to help us make a run for the Super Bowl. And ultimately, that's what this is all about. We want guys that are going to help us get to the Super Bowl. And I think Jeffrey Simmons is maybe one of the best in this entire draft class that has the potential to really push us in that direction. And he is the only one that's going to fall to us and get us there. I mean, there's other guys that could. I mean, this is maybe the most boomer bust draft class I've ever seen. Quinnen Williams and Nick Bosa are not bust potential at all, in my opinion. Ed Oliver, very boomer bust. Montez Sweat, extremely boomer bust. DK Metcalf, very boomer bust. I mean, there's so many guys that are just out of this world athletic freaks who have the kind of upside that are just incredible. But they also have a lot of red flags that are kind of like, eh, I don't know, he might not be very good at all. You know, Rashawn Gary, good goodness gracious. Most athletic freak anybody's seen in a very long time, but what in the world can he actually do? Nobody knows. So I would be beyond stunned if we took Jeffrey Simmons at 12, but I could understand it. Uh, I think the real question, though, is going to be, if he even makes it to 30, will the Packers consider him? And I'll be honest, I don't think they will. I think if you couple the fact of his injury and the -the off-the-field stuff, I just think the Packers probably go in a different direction. If he's there at 44 then maybe they might start to consider it. That's kind of my general thought process. I don't know. It's it's possible they took him off the board entirely. I don't know. Oh, there you go. It was Sean Luke in the Facebook group that said if Drew Locke falls to 20 or 30 range or straight up falls to 30, I expect the ta- Packers to take him with their first their second first round pick and would actually be surprised if they didn't. I got to see what he says here cuz I approved the comment and then I just I didn't see exactly what his follow-up was. Oh, I see. So that that's another dynamic of this I had said the best case scenarios and they're all bad scenarios. I guess the thought process would be, and let's explore this, and I think we'll probably end on this because it is kind of interesting. The general thought process, or at least this is what he had written, is that if they did find the heir apparent, in other words, if this is the guy, and that really is the question, right? That's what I said. If he is the guy, you take him at 30, right? As much as I might not like it. If he is the guy, and by the guy, I mean an actual legitimate this guy is going to be our starting quarterback, and we know that. We see that. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. When he stepped onto the field, I remember watching him and going, this guy's pretty good, man. I remember saying, when Brett Favre leaves, I think we got something here. His thought process is, if we have that guy, there's a good chance Aaron Rodgers doesn't make it to the end of his career. In other words, we let him go, we trade him, whatever. That seems extreme now, but we're talking about a few years down the road, and really, we're not even talking about that many years down the road, because the Packers front load the heck out of this uh, contract. So if we were to cut him or move on from him this year, which you know, we, you've know you seen that occasionally on Twitter or Facebook, like, why is it so crazy, the idea of maybe trading him? Because we would have a $60 million dead cap hit. We would be so far in the negative, it would be ridiculous. We would We would have to cut half the team just to make up for that. If we were to cut him or trade him in 2020 there would be a $53 million cap hit, right? Because basically we gave him so much money up front, we have to account for that, and we're accounting for it later and later in the draft. I mean, his base salary this year is $1 million. His base salary in 2020, $1 million. It's crazy taxi town, right? And his, his actual cap hit is only $26 million this year, but you got to remember, all those guarantees get accelerated into this year, making it a $60 million cap hit. Now, here's the thing. Starting in 2020, which is not very far away, he is owed a cap number. The the cap hit is going to be $33 million. Now, a lot of that is money that's already been paid to him. His base salary is only $14.5 million. Roster bonus of 6.8, workout bonus half a million. So he's going to get like $21 million that year. But he's, again, he's money's in the bank. Now, the dead cap hit is only $23 million if we just cut him which we wouldn't, by the way. We would trade him, but we'll get to that in a minute. If we cut him off the roster and put Drew Locke in as our starting quarterback in 2021, it would be a $23 million cap hit, which is a $10.5 million cap savings while we have Drew Locke on our roster as a backup quarterback or as a starting quarterback on, on his rookie deal. 
if we move on in 2022, the dead money is only 11.5, and he's owed 37 million dollars. Now that's where it gets really interesting because that's a lot of money, and I know the the cap is going to go up, and as a percentage, whatever. But that's that's a crazy amount of money. And with a dead cap hit of only 11.5 compared to the 37, that's a savings of 25.5 million with a guy still on his rookie contract. Meaning we can go out and buy half the league. And then in 2023, in his final year, if we decide to cut him before he starts, there's zero dead cap money. We save his entire contract, which is $25.5 million. His, his, that's all base salary. So it, it, the, the thing that's actually making me a little bit nervous about this is the way this is structured is almost as if Aaron Rodgers and the Packers came to an agreement that maybe this isn't going to work later on down the line. You know, it, it just, it feels like a contract that is very in the Packers' favor insofar as similar to what happened with Mike McCarthy when they said, yeah, I'll tell you what, we're going to extend you, but I'm giving you one year. This feels like a team that says, you know what, you've been injured a lot, your play hasn't been all that great, the team isn't exactly what it was, and it, we, we're just not seeing it from you, we're going to give you the benefit of the doubt, and we're locked in to you for the next two years, you know, this year and next year for sure, but beyond that we have options. And that in and of itself is a little scary. And it, it, and, and looking at this contract from that perspective, and I'm very glad Sean Luke kind of threw that up there, I don't know if he actually looked into it or what, but as I'm looking at it, it does make sense. And as I said, you know, Brett Favre, he didn't finish out his thing, and I expect Aaron Rodgers to finish it out. Maybe that's just me being a fan saying he's going to be all right, he's going to bounce back, he's going to have a great year, he's not going to be throwing the ball away every five seconds, every single play, he's going to listen to the coach, he's going to, all this stuff's going to be fine. But this is a contract that says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you all your money now so that we have the option to move on if we so choose. And because we're talking about very soon, we're talking about the, the option of moving on in 2021. It just it, It's making me sick just thinking about it because I, as soon as we extended Rodgers, it's like, yay, we got five years and not having to worry about it, great quarterback, all that. Ugh. Here's the other aspect. As I said, we're not going to cut him. We would trade him. If we had trade to the equation, he could be gone as early as next year. I'm not saying he's going to be, but here's the situation. Dead money in a trade situation in which the base salary is taken on by the other uh, teams meaning that doesn't get accelerated into our cost. It would be a dead cap hit of $34.5 million, which is a lot. But his cap number is $32.6 million, meaning it would only be a, a cap hit of $1.9 million. So it's still negative, meaning we're not going to do it, but it changes the equation a lot. And we're talking about we're taking a $1.9 million bath, and by the way, that would give us a $33.5 million savings next year. But also factor in, if we were to trade him in 2020, as much as financially it makes no sense, we're talking about a massive haul in terms of, of compensation for a 37-year-old quarterback with presumably a, a future quarterback, Drew Locke, whatever, on the rot. It's starting to feel real, man. This is starting to feel real, and it's freaking me out. But if we did trade him, let's say, in 20, uh, 2021, as opposed to cutting him in 2021, that's when everything kind of balances out, and it's the same kind of numbers. Uh, dead cap, $23 million, we would save 10 and a half. So, so, I mean, I'm embarrassed that this hasn't occurred to me prior to this, because I should have, you know, I, I don't know, I just, I, I kind of put it out of my mind, like, okay, we got him locked up for five years. In a sense, as much as, and I, I'm not trying to go down the road of there's anything wrong with Aaron Rodgers. You know, we need to get him the weapons. We need to get him a better defense. We need to get him some wide receivers, some tight ends, you know, get him a better, better scheme, get him, get him all these things. But again, here's the situation. I think the plan is similar to what we did for Mike McCarthy. And that is, we're going to take away the excuses with the expectation that you will get better. And if you don't, we have to go another route. So get him the wide receivers, get him the new coach, Get him whatever he needs to make this thing work, but we need to keep our eye on Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is essentially auditioning. Now, from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, I don't know that he necessarily has to care. That's one of the benefits of getting all your money up front, because the thought process for him would be, as much as I know he would want to stay and play out his career here, he wants to be the best quarterback, He's never. I'm never going to imply that he's going to do anything imper you know, purposefully, but if he was cut or traded, he's going to make a lot of money elsewhere. Right. I mean, you could say, well, all they're doing is buying out his contract. Okay, but the problem is he's not going to be okay with playing for somebody else in 2021 for $14.7 million. He's going to demand, you know, more money from that team. 
because even though the, the teams, you know, the Packers have the right to trade him to whoever he wants, we saw with guys like Odell Beckham, he can simply jump up and say, no, I'm not playing for that team. So players do actually have a lot more power than it seems to be because they have the power to refuse to play, and teams would be more than willing to, to cough up $30 bucks for him, and that's new money for Aaron Rodgers. He actually would make more money if he ends up getting traded, because again, that team is going to give him new money, on top of the guaranteed money, most of which is already in his bank from the Green Bay Packers. So that that is, and I, listen, I know I'm, I'm riling people up, and I'm not trying to. I'm trying to dance very carefully on this line. I fully expect Aaron Rodgers to have a bounce-back season. I fully expect him to play through 2023. But we are talking about a 35-year-old guy who signed a contract through year 40, who hasn't had a good year since, what, 20... I don't know. I mean, technically, PFF-wise, he had a great year last year, but I mean, things just aren't working right now. So it's just, I guess, the thought process behind it. And I, I again, thank you, Sean Luke, very much for that, that thought, because it does absolutely make sense to at least explore the options if you believe you have the quarterback. Because listen, and we've, we've heard it a thousand times, the NFL, it's a business. And a smart business decision is to take a future quarterback when you can, especially in the Packers situation, because Gutekunst still needs to find his guy. And as I've said, you don't want to wait until it's too late. But the the point of the equation that I had not factored in prior to this is maybe we're getting into that too late territory already. Gutekunst needs to evaluate Aaron Rodgers and figure out, is this our guy for the next five years? I don't know the answer to that. Again, I'm not saying he's garbage right now. I'm just saying, is he going to be okay to age 40? So yeah, the quarterback thing, I guess, does make sense. Not automat- Not saying we are looking for somebody so that we can replace him, but we're looking for somebody in case. And also, again, the business side of it, if we have somebody, we kind of want to push him out. I mean, from a strict business standpoint, you want to push him out. Not from an emotional, he's our guy, we love him, we want him in the Hall of Fame, all that stuff. Of course, we would like to keep him on a sentimental basis. But financially, we're talking about saving $30 million to play Drew Locke as opposed to Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. It also kind of would explain why there's been so much movement as far as like getting Kaiser and whatnot. Maybe this has been part of the thought process. Anyways, that's an uh, that's interesting thing. But I'm going to stop talking now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. No, I guess I'm not done talking. It's going to be interesting watching Aaron Rodgers realizing that to some extent this is an audition. The expectation is that he's going to be old Aaron Rodgers all over again. He's going to be able to carve people up so long as he has the weapons that he needs. Everything will be fine. But if that isn't the case, I think we have our answer. If we have one more year of of not good quarterback play... um. Yeah, then I, I, th- I think the, the hunt is on. Anyways, you folks, enjoy your Friday. I will talk to you, as always, tomorrow. Or we will be talking about who knows what. Have a good one. Uh, bye-bye.